just like clockwork, every Friday night, the boards lighten up and lines are moving. And I think I was just disrupting what Billy wanted to do, you know, when he was betting on the weekend and stuff. So he was just looking to get me off the street, essentially. everybody welcome to props and hops a betting and beer podcast powered by dimers.com and part of blue wire hustle i'm matt landis and this episode features my conversation with nfl handicapper scott kellen we explore scott's betting approach including his experience specializing in nfl totals plus insight into how scott's approach has evolved along with the market over time and then we get into an epic story scott has about crossing paths with the legendary better billy walters we wrap things up by touching on Scott's advice to aspiring bettors, including the value of getting a handle on the math involved in betting, as well as actively seeking out different perspectives. As a heads up, this is a follow-up to the conversation I released last Friday with Scott and professional better Las Vegas Chris, which brought together the whole gang from the new BetUS NFL show we're doing together. You can find that conversation with all three of us, plus my one-on-one interview with Chris and the Props and Hops podcast feed. If you're listening to this episode on the day of its release on Friday, August 27th, you can also check out our NFC North preview today on the BetUS NFL show. You can find it via the YouTube and podcast links in the show notes. One housekeeping note before we cut to my conversation with Scott. For free picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, check out the Cutting Edge Quick Pick section over at Dimers.com. You can also find a link to that in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimerspot's biggest edges across all the biggest sports. And now, enjoy my conversation with NFL handicapper and someone I'm now honored to call a colleague, Scott Kellen. All right, I'm back one-on-one with NFL handicapper Scott Kellen. And Scott, in our larger conversation with the two of us as well as Las Vegas, Chris, you mentioned part of your background is a better specializing in totals. And I'd love to expand on that a bit and hear if you could tell us what led you down that path in the first place. Yeah, no, great to be back, Matt, and uh, love doing this with you. You know, for the longest time, uh, I was really kind of concentrating on sides more than more than anything and uh, and was doing that and doing well at that. And then uh, I don't know when it was, maybe 2008, 2009, 2010, somewhere in that neighborhood, um, just started looking at totals a little bit more. And, you know, I ever since I've been doing this and been doing it for about 20 years, I've relied on a lot of systems that are time tested back to 1983. And we know that stuff kind of comes and goes. And we know that stuff is probably gone more than it's coming right now. Uh, and analytics and stuff like that are, are, are much more, um, you know, you can be much more successful with that. Um, but, you know, still on the topic of systems, I, I started using some systems that really worked well in the totals. Uh, but then I just started looking at other stuff. Um, and, you know, I started having success with it and, you know, for me, for the NFL, uh, NFL is a grind. Like I do, I have a great model that works for the college basketball tournament for totals. It's a very simplistic model for the most part. Set it up and it's very easy uh, as the tournament progresses to to really kind of get a read on, on, you know, what the next play is going to be as far as uh, best bets. Um, but in football, for me, it's, it's really a grind. And 
Um, and I've just had a lot of success really kind of, for me, it's just digging into the season and there are parts within the season, um, that, you know, if you can dig in, you can have a lot of success, a classic example, um, really last year, a couple examples, um, you know, the bears started out with Trubisky. They don't do well. They go to Nick Foles. You know, he plays whatever it was, five, six games of really horrible football. Their numbers look horrible. Trubisky comes back. They're running a little bit faster paced offense. They're moving the ball a little bit more. And, and, and all of a sudden now some of those games are going over the total. They're also playing maybe not quite as good at teams where they can kind of show themselves a little bit more. So for me, from a totals perspective, it was kind of just looking at all that stuff and just finding different things within the season of the NFL um, to really be successful. And I've just always had a good read on that. And, you know, there's other things I look at that have just seemed to be better predictors for me in the total space than the side pace side space most, most recently. And, you know, I've just kind of gravitated towards that and, and just, and again, NFL is really all I do. So uh, other than, you know, those totals in March madness um, and I've just had a knack for kind of being able to see the game play out pretty well uh, from a total totals perspective over all these years. Yeah. Well, I like that. You might as well play to your strengths. A lot of people might try to bite off more than they can chew and do, you know, too many sports or even too many facets within a sport. There's a million different ways you can go with the NFL. And if you can really find your bread and butter and just make your money there, as long as you're still able to get down and your edge survives, then there's, you know, I, I think not only is there nothing wrong with that, I think more people could stand to take an approach like that. And you've mentioned being at this for a while. I think um, when you have so much good experience like you do, I'm curious to hear about how the market has evolved over time. You touch on the fact that sometimes, you know, models from decades ago, they might still hold up in certain areas and in other ways they might get passed by. So how would you say over your years of doing this that you've seen the market evolve when it comes to betting totals in the NFL? Well, yeah, it, it, it like you said, it has evolved sides, totals, everything, right? Um, there's just so much information out there now that's readily available. Um, you know, and for someone who even is just getting into sports betting, there's so much information you can just Google just to try to learn how to, how to sports bet. Uh, just in general. And then obviously the information, whether it's weather related, team specific, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, the, the, the numbers and the lines are just tighter. Right. And so for me, it's you kind of like I said earlier, I'm, I'm always I've always kind of used this very simplistic approach that, you know, if you wake up on Sunday morning and open up the paper and you can beat the numbers, uh, the sports books would never be what they are. So you obviously cannot do that. So I'm always trying to find something that isn't really there on the surface that's easily and readily available to the mass market because we know the mass market doesn't win. So in my mind, you've got to find things that aren't readily available that, you know, sportsbooks obviously know quite a bit about what they're doing, uh, but there still can be things within that um, that they're not staying on top of because they've got a whole bunch of things to do. And of course, they're still pricing this stuff based on the public in general, especially the NFL. So yes, the numbers and everything are tighter. Um, you just got to find it for me and you know, what works for me doesn't work for everybody else necessarily, but I'm just trying to find things within the season that aren't readily available um, just to try to find my edge because that edge is much, much tougher to find. I think on a week to week basis now than it was 10 or 15 years ago uh, without a doubt. Yeah. It seems like edges are just getting tougher to find year over year. And I think it might be, 
funneling things down from just finding edges maybe in so many totals to certain angles. You mentioned when it was, again, the three of us, uh, you, myself, and Chris, you talked about division matchups can sometimes go under for reasons related to how familiar teams are with each other. And that's not a brand new angle, but in certain spots, it could also not be properly priced in. I also think about possibly going, you know, further down the menu, maybe looking at derivatives if you're um, betting more quarters or halves or team totals. There, there are different ways to get at it than the total for the full game. And, and to that end, how has the market getting more efficient with totals in terms of full game totals really affected your overall approach to betting the NFL in terms of, yeah, maybe looking at more derivatives or, or maybe looking at uh, more sides again or other ways to get down beyond simply looking at totals despite how good they've been for you over so much time? Yeah, you're right. And well, first of all, you know, you just find you have to work a lot harder, obviously. Uh, like you said, the derivatives, I think, are a great market. Uh, they're a little bit harder sometimes, obviously, because they're not going to take as much money on a play. And, you know, maybe you have to use multiple outlets to do that, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and not every outlet offers the same type of derivative. Um, but you're right. You're just trying to find different angles uh, on that. And, you know, the other one I guess I would throw in there is in-game betting, right? You may have a total of 45. Okay, you know what? You're looking really for 47 or something to go under it. It's 45. It's not quite as good. But you have a very good read on the game. And right out of the gates, they come out and somebody goes up 7 nothing, And all of a sudden that in-game total is now 47 and a half. And maybe, you know, maybe it's a fluky score. I also have always said this in NFL. I Other than the fact that the points are put on the board on a first drive for a team at the beginning of the game, I almost discount the first drive because teams prep for that first drive. They, they, you know, they, they game play those, they know their 15, 15 plays they are going to run, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think sometimes, you know, from a totals perspective, especially, and obviously from a side as well, the first score of a game on that first drive for either team, you can, you can't throw it out the window because obviously the team that scores more wins. And, and at the end of the game that those points matter, but they can give you an added edge potentially, uh, especially if you're looking to go under in a game, uh, especially if you've got that game read correctly. Now, obviously, if a team starts to score in their second and third drive, you know, maybe they're going to dominate for the rest of that day and continue to move the ball. Um, but things like that, the in-game market as well, can also get you eventually to a price that maybe wasn't readily available for you, you know, before that game started as well. Yeah, as you're talking through that, I can't help but be reminded of a game that was probably my luckiest total derivative win in my betting lifetime so far. There was a Texans playoff game. I mean, for years, it was the Texans getting the early Saturday game on wildcard weekend. This was one of those cases, and I think they were hosting the Chiefs. And the first quarter total, I took under seven and a half. I, I would guess this was 2015 or 2016. And I remember I, I had a couple friends in, in Vegas with me who were Chiefs fans and they got down on the bet as well because, you know, they respect my opinion and I said I was on it. And right as the game's about to kick off, I just said, you know, I, I'm confident that the only thing we need to watch out for here is special teams. And <laughs> as those words come out of my mouth, the opening kickoff gets returned for a touchdown. So we're sitting on under seven and a half in the first quarter and what, 10 seconds into the game, it's seven, nothing Kansas city. And there were, I don't know how many drives that got to the fringes of field goal range and just sputtered out teams. Maybe there's a penalty, a turnover, a, a coach punting when he should have gone for it or kicked a field goal. And then I think the first quarter ended with a team driving deep in opponent territory and, you know, having not yet scored. That was like the luckiest win that I've had. And when we were having the conversation, uh, you, myself and Las Vegas, Chris, all together talking about remembering not just the bad beats, but you know, the, the times where you got lucky, 
um, you know, as you're talking about totals, I think that's about as lucky as it gets. So when you've done this long enough, um, yeah, you want to look down the board, work harder to find an edge. Sometimes there's a lot of variance in play and you got to accept mm -hmm. it's going to work yeah. for you in certain spots and it's going to work against you at other times. But in the long run, it's probably going to even out. Or if you've got the right process, it might even work slightly in your favor, despite how painful it might feel at times. Yeah. And by the way, I do remember that game and I, uh, I don't even remember what I bet in that game, but I remember driving down the highway to go to one of the sports books to watch it listening on the radio and yes, they took it back. And I feel like I had a total bet in that game in some aspect. And again, I don't even remember if I won or lost it, but I certainly remember the play and I agree. And I think that's why it's important to have a process and some sort of methodology uh, that works for you because you're going to go through those highs and lows. And when you have something that you're confident in, then it's much easier to stick to that game plan if you don't have that, then those bad beats, good beats, you, like you said, you forget those very easily. Bad beats you seem to hold on to. And it can affect your decision-making going forward for multiple weeks and maybe even the rest of the season if you get enough of that. So having a process and the methodology and being confident in that, I think it helps you get disciplined to, to really work through all that stuff and, and stay true to the course um, You know, when some of that stuff happens. And it is going to happen. There's no question about that. Yeah. And speaking of having a good process that you can trust to ride out the highs and lows over time, I know when it comes to your process, priors aren't as big of a factor as they are for a lot of betters out there. So I'd love to touch briefly on why that's the case and what else you look to to get an early read on teams without putting as much emphasis on priors. Yeah. You know, for me, uh, I don't I don't think that priors uh, are not useful. I think they are. I think they're they're probably great. I've just never been able to calculate real well the priors and then integrate that into the new season as well as I can take the data from the new season. And once we get four to five weeks in, then I can start using that data. It just always worked better for me. Um, and so, like I said, that's not to say that using the priors doesn't work. I just don't have a great model to do that. So for me, um, I, like I said, you know, all I do is NFL handicapping. I feel like I have pretty good reads on teams throughout the whole year throughout multiple years. And so I just try to prepare the best I can for anything that's changed to kind of add or subtract to where they ended last year. Um, and also, you know, from the previous years, like I said, there are pockets within a season where teams were good or bad and, and for various reasons. And that can carry over to the following year if you kind of understand those dynamics. So it's for me, it's just trying to evaluate where that team is at the beginning of the year through off-season trades, free agency, uh, drafts, obviously. And I do feel like I do can do a pretty good job of that in the initial uh, few weeks of the season um, to get me going. And then, you know, like I said, once you get to week four or five, uh, some of the numbers for me start to uh, really kind of take over a little bit more uh, as well. So it's, you know, for me, it's just uh, I don't have a great way to, to really evaluate that going into the season early on from a numbers perspective. But I do know how the teams play and, and, and just matchups and whatnot uh, seem to work for me early in the season. Yeah, well, it seems like you have a, a proven track record of a strong process. And at a certain point, uh, a little ways back, that led you to a close encounter with Billy Walters. I'm wondering if there's anything you can share about that story and, and any insight that you took away from it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's a great story. Uh, I think it was 2011 or so. I had partnered with Edward from Right Angle Sports for a few years. And, um, and we were having a fantastic year. I mean, probably, I'd have to go back and look. We probably ended up 59, 60% pretty, 
pretty good volume for an NFL season. Um, you know, probably 120, 130 plays maybe wasn't bad. And, uh, I think it was Thanksgiving weekend and I'm driving down the road and I check my phone, I get an email, uh, and I see it's from somebody at, and, and there was nothing in the body of the email. And, uh, but it was from, uh, somebody at waltersgolf.com or, or something to that effect. Right. And I'm like, is this Billy Walters? Like, why is Billy Walters getting a hold of me? And so I fired back the email and said, Hey, um, got your email, nothing in the body of the email. Can I, can I help you? And he responded back and he said, yeah, you know, I want to sign up for your service. If you know, what, what, what should I do? Can you call me or, you know, or should I call you whatever? And anyway, so we connected and, uh, he said, yeah, I want to sign up for the service. And, uh, so we did all that and, um, the rest of the year was very good and, uh, got to the end of the year. And then he had emailed me and said, Hey, um, you know, we should partner together. Let's get together. It took us till about August to actually get together, um, in which we did. And he, he wanted to partner and, and I, I said no. And then ultimately I had a really bad year that year. So Billy Walters didn't give a crap about me after that. Right. But I think, and I never asked Billy this, um, but I think the only reason he wanted to really partner was at that time I was releasing all my plays on a Friday night and like eight o'clock, nine o'clock on a Friday night, which is obviously very late. And I've changed that model now, but um, the board would light up because we had enough sharp players. I've always had sharp players following my plays. So when the, the, the plays would get released, the lines would move. And so every, just like clockwork, every Friday night, eight, nine, 10 o'clock, whatever time we released, the boards lighten up and, 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 and lines are moving. And I think I was just disrupting what Billy wanted to do, you know, when he was betting on the weekend and stuff. So he was just looking to get me off the street, essentially, um, just to avoid that. Right. And I think that's really all he was interested in. And I, you know, and I told him when we met in August, I said, you know, I've already had a lot of people sign up for the service, blah, blah, blah. He's like refunding the money. And I said, well, but if we don't do something next year, then, you know, those people are probably gone somewhere else. And he, he's a great salesman, right? He had a great line. He's like, no, no, no. It's more like, it's just like Augusta, right? The more they can't have it, the more they're going to want to have you. So that that's fine, right? And and ultimately, like I said, I politely declined and then had a horrible year the next year. And, uh, you know, like I said, he didn't care about me after that. And I've, you know, never talked to him since then. But but it was a, it was a great encounter. Got to meet him. Nice guy. Uh, and obviously, you know, has been a winner for a long time in this business. Yeah, well, what a fascinating story and, and a, a close brush with one of the titans in the space, obviously. It reminds me a little bit of a story that professional better Rob Pozzola shared when I had him on earlier this offseason, where his start was in baseball. He was posting plays on Twitter, and he was too sharp to, you know, to know what he was really doing. He was messing up the market for some much bigger betters who got a hold of him, and, and then he kind of started working with them. So it's it's so interesting to see when... Uh, you know, if your angle is right, that if he did purely just want to, you know, get your impact on the market on Friday evenings, you know, taken away for his own benefit, you know, if there's nothing more to it than that, you know, there can still be plenty there. Uh, but, you know, yeah. there, there might have been something more. He, he might have really um, wanted to not just take away that impact, but also have you like directly add to his team. So I know you mentioned um, there were a lot of considerations with what you had already committed to doing. A lot of people had already signed on for the coming season and you didn't want to leave anybody in a lurch. But I also have to imagine that the chance to work with a guy like Billy Walters would feel like a once in a lifetime opportunity that so many people dream of. So what was it like for you to ultimately come to the decision to go ahead and pass on that opportunity? I just, you know, it was, it was just, for me, it was so close to the beginning of the season and stuff. And, um, 
you know, right or wrong, I've always tried to treat my people right that, you know, have subscribed to me. And, um, you know, I just felt we were so close to it. I, I just didn't want to make that decision. And like I said, you know, Billy's a great salesman. You know, a couple of weeks later, I get a call from him in a voicemail and he says, hey, uh, my wife said you may have called. So I'm just checking in to see if, you know, if I missed your call. I'd never called him. Right. And I, I think he knows that. Right. But, you know, he was just coming up with a reason to call me. And then and then I think I text him back or, or emailed him back, said, hey, I think I'm going to pass on the year. And, you know, um, if we do this, if you want to do this next year, let's, you know, get a, a, a quicker jump on this, you know, right after the season ends. And again, you know, the rest was history, but I just, you know, for me, it just wasn't right at the time. And, um, you know, in, in, in the long run, you know, I don't know, it was probably the right thing, but who knows. Right. But it, it was an outstanding experience. Right. You know, and I, I know a lot of sharps and stuff, but when he, you know, he called them like, and he called, I said, is this the Billy Walters? And he's like, yes, Scott, yes, it is. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it, you know, yeah, it, it was pretty fascinating and, uh, you know, it was good to meet him and, and all that good stuff. So, you know, good experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds pretty surreal. And I, I think of a line from a recent episode of Ted Lasso, where I believe it was Jason Sudeikis' character telling one of his players, doing the right thing is always the right thing. I might be paraphrasing there a bit, but if you felt you were doing what was right, even if it meant passing on a really tempting opportunity that didn't come back to you the following year, you know, it seems like you had a really well thought out process and you, you've had plenty of success since then, despite a down year right after Billy reached out to you. So maybe it's all worked out for the best anyway. Yeah, I know it, it's all been good. And uh, Hey, I'll take the experience and life is about experiences and you know, it was a great experience. So all good. Yeah, for sure. Well, one experience that I would like to uh, see if we can pass along to um, a lot of people listening would be um, anything that they can benefit from, you know, from all your years of success. So I'd be curious to wrap up with any advice you have to aspiring betters. I don't know if the right term is a rec plus better or, or uh, you know, an aspiring sharp. I've heard a few different things thrown around. I still don't know what to call it myself, but basically betters who aren't just, you know, to quote Chris from a recent divisional preview, betting for the hell of it, people who they do want to win and they'll put in the work to get multiple accounts and shop lines and listen to conversations like this, trying to learn more and become sharper. But at the same time, they're probably never going to be on the brink of a working relationship with a Billy Walters or or going pro or, or, you know, being in a position where tons of people want to follow their picks. So for a lot of people in that middle ground, what would you say are some of the first things that come to mind that they can do to increase their ROI and, and ultimately just improve their betting experience? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, for the longest time, uh, I would consider myself what I would say as a handicapper. And there's plenty of sharps I knew that I would say, you know, I was a better handicapper than them. But then what I've come to realize, you know, over the last 10 to 15 years, the math is really more important than, you know, being able to handicap. So the first thing I would say is just understand the math. And and the great thing about right now is there are tons of books out there and whatnot um, that you can go buy. And, uh, you know, great thing about Amazon, you can buy it today, you'll have it tomorrow or the next day. Um, and there are just great books of just speaking to the math in the game. Just just, you know, if I've always said, if you think about an NFL, you know, you don't have huge samples uh, or, or volume in the NFL. So if you're a 56 percent handicapper and you're going 56 and 44, on 100 plays, you make one or two wrong moves. That's one or two percent right there because you just don't have a ton of volume in the NFL, for example. So just understanding the math and, and making the right plays just from that standpoint 
I think puts you ahead of the ahead of the game. And then obviously being able to build out models and, and, and whatnot that, you know, can lead to more wins because you're finding value within the line and whatnot. I think that's hugely important as well. But those are the big things. I, I would just say, listen to as many sharp people as you can um, read as much as you can. There's plenty of information and books out there. And I would say, you know, for me, um, I try to follow people who do and come across and come to the game uh, a slightly different than how I come across it, because I'm just trying to learn different ways. You know, and analytics has been a big thing, you know, over the last uh, number of years. I'm just trying to get better at that side of it because that was never, you know, what I did. So, you know, I think trying to find people that maybe come across the in handicap uh, and, and, and try to bet in different ways than you. I think that gives you added value as well, because it's just going to help you become sharper uh, as well. Uh, you know, just as another tool for you to be able to use um, from what you're already using. Yeah, I love that. And I have one thought to add to it. And then one quick follow up. My thought would be when you speak about, you know, reading and digging into this. The Logic of Sports Betting is a book I read this past off season. I believe it was written in 2019. It's by Ed Miller and Matthew Davidow, uh, who run Deck Prism Sports. And it's not the most intense with math, but it, it can be a lot of math and numbers for somebody who's not familiar with that side of betting yet. So if anybody's you know, getting into this and they're not a quant by any stretch, but they want to improve in that area, I think that would be like the perfect way to, to start to get a sense of the math in play. And they also talk a lot about really good angles. It's just one of the best books, whether you're just starting out as a better or even some more seasoned betters, I'm sure can find something to benefit from it. So um, when you mentioned reading, that's been really influential for me the logic of sports betting, and then even books that aren't directly related to betting can be helpful in some ways, maybe just broadening your perspective. But I think of books that have really changed the way I think in betting and so many other walks of life. And the top two that come to mind would be Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, who's a legendary figure who basically came up with behavioral economics, as well as a book called Thinking and Bets by Annie Duke, the former pro poker player. Um, Just a lot about how to accept variance and, and realizing we talked earlier about, you know, remembering the, the fortunate wins alongside the bad beats. Human nature pretty much tells us that if we have a positive event happen to us and a negative event, and they're of equal magnitude, we tend to feel the negative, that pain, about twice as much as we feel the pleasure of the positive. And that's just how we're wired. There's not a lot we can do to change it, but being aware of it and accepting it and knowing that it is a better, sometimes you'll feel the pain of that bad beat, you know, twice as much as the fortunate victory you might forget about the next day, whereas you'll never forget the bad beat. But really, with our bankroll, that ratio is still one to one, taking the good with the bad. Yeah, I agree. And I think, and I don't know if we said this earlier or not, so I might be repeating myself, but, you know, having a process, a methodology, it just helps you get through that stuff. You know, a baseball hitter, he hits 300. Obviously, he's very good. He's obviously making outs, you know, 70% of the time. But if he's got a regimen and he's got some fundamentals that he's relying on, even though he's going over to his last 12 or something, it's helping him go to the plate the next time and, and be successful. And it's the same thing here. So you, to your point, Matt, you read those books and the Internet is so full of information now. You can go Google, you know, what what is the best way to play teasers? Are parlays OK? It's just all that stuff's out there. So just do yourself a service just to understand just those basic fundamentals and you have a leg up, uh, you know, uh, along with anything else that you might add to the game as well. So, you know, it's not it's not always so much about picking winners, which obviously it is, but it's understanding what what plays and where to play them and and the math behind it as well. Um, I think will add 
certainly add to your profits and, and make you successful as well. Yeah, I think that just reinforcing the importance of that kind of process can go such a long way. So I, I don't mind it feeling a bit repetitive at all, because another maybe my biggest takeaway from reading Thinking and Bets, that book by Annie Duke, um, read it for a second time this offseason. And more than the first time, I took away the insight that just because something didn't happen doesn't mean that it couldn't have happened or even that it wouldn't happen if you were to repeat the same exact process all over again. And again, that can apply in so many walks of life. But in betting, you know, we talk about football, the, the oblong shape, and we're 11 and 11 chaos versus, you know, baseball, the analytics are so much cleaner with a one-on-one -on -one interaction between a hitter and a pitcher. So yeah, there's a lot of variance. And just because you've won five bets in a row doesn't mean you're the next great better. And just because you've lost five in a row doesn't mean you're no good. There's a lot more to it. The sample size is never big enough. And there's always a lot of variance in play. So just having that acceptance up front, you know, that that mental understanding complemented with a firm grasp on the math is what can really take things over the top in the long run. And to that end, when you mentioned getting as much good information as you can, I would love to ask one final question. Do you have any you know, podcasts, when you mentioned listening to sharp people or Twitter follows, when you mentioned trying to find people who look at things differently so you can learn from them, anything you'd recommend just off the top of your head when it comes to some of your favorite podcasts and Twitter follows that you think help you along as you continue to evolve your process? Yeah, not so much pot, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty busy. And so I don't get as much time as I want to listen to a lot of podcasts. I'll throw this out there, though. I, I don't think it's even in play anymore, but maybe it gives people an idea uh, you know, I used to listen to, um, you know, Fezzik used to do one with Matty Holt. The thing I loved about that is Matty Holt was a sports book, uh, you know, director. And obviously Fezzik is a, you know, a, a, a better. And so you, you're getting it from both sides from that aspect. And I guess to that tune, you know, there are different shows uh, on that have, you know, guys from Circa from, and I'm just speaking from a Vegas standpoint, from Circa, from, uh, you know, the, the Superbook uh, Westgate and whatnot, just talking about things. So I'm always trying to listen to it, you know, from a sports book perspective as well and hear it from their side. Plus, you always hear there's sharp money on this team, that money, that team. You know, they will talk about that and, and talk about, you know, where there's sharp money to. And sometimes that can help you. And one of the things that Matty Holt said in that years ago, he said, you know, closing line value. We all know closing line value is, is, is valuable if you can get that and whatnot. But he almost considered, you know, the closing line on Saturday because he said, you know, most sharps have bet by then, not Sunday. And Sunday, a lot of times, could be just public money influence at NFL. And it's you know, it's 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 an interesting thought as, as well, just just on things like that as well. So I think you know, for me, it was just getting it from different aspects of the business as well. Uh, just kind of helped me see it from both sides and just helped me learn a little bit more as well. Yeah, I, I really love that perspective. I'd encourage you as we wrap up, I'd encourage listeners to follow you, Scott, on Twitter at Sixth Sense NFL. And hopefully along the way with what we're doing with the BetUS NFL show, we can be you know part of somebody's routine to add value to their thought process over time. And hopefully the picks do well, but more than that, the insight we can share can you know hopefully translate to an improved thought process that then the listeners can own themselves for the rest of their betting lives. Yeah, I know. I agree, Matt. Looking forward to doing that show every week. And uh, like you said, it's more about the process than anything. And, and Las Vegas, Chris is on is great on there as well. And just learning and, and seeing his different perspectives as well. I think that's super valuable for me personally. So looking forward to doing that. And uh, let's hope let's hope we have a great season. Goodbye.
Thanks again to Scott. If you enjoyed our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A close second would be to check out the new BetUS NFL show with Scott, professional better Las Vegas Chris, and myself. We've got the NFC North preview coming your way today. You can find it via the YouTube and podcast links in the show notes. And if you'd be interested in a real-time conversation with me and the Dimers.com community of more than 1,100 fellow bettors and counting, join us for free on Discord. I've also dropped a link to that in the show notes. And that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again soon. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.